This is What the Truck, and I'm Dooner. Here with Michael Vincent, the dude. How you doing? How you doing today? I'm doing right, man. A little bit of rain, rainy day here. How about you, my friend? I'm good. You know, so blast from the past. I mean, nostalgia is big with my generation, the the 80s kids of the world. And you see, they sell it to us all the time we go into the stores. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker for it every time. Well, I was in Walmart. I was in Walmart on Saturday, and we were going to get, it was hot as hell out, right? Oh, yeah. Get some squirt guns for the kids. We were going to play backyard. Well, most squirt guns, except for a certain brand, are terrible. They leaked all over the place. We had to bring them back. Then I'm looking online. I'm like, there's got to be a good squirt gun out there. Well, lo and behold, Somebody I go asked. to Target. I go to Target, and guess what they re-released? I don't know. The, the classic Super Soaker there XP50, that Ooh. neon yellow one with the green water bottle on top, and the blue XP100, which I, my parents wouldn't get me when I was a kid. So I got two of those, and I got two of the XP50s. Um, cool story, though, about the, uh, the Super Soaker. Are you familiar with this at all? I, I, uh, a, a little bit, right? Yeah. NASA or something, is that right? Yeah, so you know we always have NASA on the show, and we yeah. try and tie it into what they do here on Earth. Well, yeah. there was an engineer, a guy named Lonnie Johnson, who was over at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, who we've had on this show before. Not Lonnie Johnson, but we've had NASA JPL on. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. he was making something pretty simple. He was trying to make a pressurized injector that they could use up in space to move fluid through lines. That's right. He's in his bathroom. He's got a hose. He's got a soda bottle, and he's got a pump, and he's making some pressure. It shoots across the room, and he goes, you know what? That would make one hell of a water gun. <laughs> and he immediately starts working on it. He's going to try and make it himself. And if you've seen the prototype, it actually looks strikingly similar to the uh, XP50 that's out now. The, oh, is that the right? Okay, one. cool. Yeah. Well, he couldn't get manufacturing. He hooks up a Laramie. They make the manufacturing for him. He didn't have $200,000 to put up to make them. Long story short, they sold two billion of those super soakers in their uh, first year. Or they there made sorry, they made two billion dollars. They sold a uh, couple hundred million. Wow. All over the globe, though, a couple hundred million water guns. That's pretty nice, man. Little That's context nice. though, if you, if you grew up before the before that point in the '90s, early '90s, you were stuck with like those. Uh, oh, we had garbage. Clear plastic ones. Yeah. We had garbage when yeah. I was a kid. They, were they no had good. the Entertech ones in the '80s. The Entertech ones looked like M16s. They made sound, but they a couple of kids got shot with those. With those guns. So that's where, you know, why you have to have that yellow, that uh, neon orange tip on the front of the gun. Yeah, I remember when they put those on those guns. And cap guns, too, had to get those put on them. Well, here's the thing. In Boston, they almost banned the Super Soaker in 1992 because someone brought a gun to a Super Soaker fight and shot someone. Someone else put bleach inside their Super Soaker and shot a uh, a couple. They shot two people with it and um, didn't work out. Sorry, Mayor Ray Flynn, you didn't win that one. Good times. (laughs) We're taking a trip back to the 90s today. We're taking a trip back to talk about Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs are going 145 million years in the past. We're back to 1991. We're talking about big, weird, unusual freight, and one of those is moving velociraptors for Universal. It's going to be a good time today. What is what is uh, Goldblum says? You take two species that are separated by sixty five million years and bring them back together again. Yeah. What could go wrong? Like a truck and a dinosaur. Yeah. What, what could, could go, go wrong? wrong? What could go wrong? We'll find out. It's well, first good. we've got to tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships through outstanding customer service since two thousand seven. Learn more at Tell Them, dude. Oh man, go to newlegendinc.com immediately after the show. Headline. What's going on here? Oh, here we go. So, remember when they said that they're working to investigate PPP loans under $2 million? 
Yeah, no, they weren't going to do that, right? Yeah, they lied. Psych. They lied. Well, feds, <laughs> feds claim a trucking company owner bought a house, car, and cars with a PPP loan. Clarissa Hawes, who has uh, the best Twitter handle in the game, Cage Writer. Oh, yeah. Better Cage Writer than Logan Paul, that is. Uh, <laughs> reports the owner of a Pennsylvania trucking company is facing wire fraud and money laundering charges after federal prosecutors claim he used more than $467,000 in funds obtained through the U.S. Small Business Administration's Paycheck Protection Program, that's the PPP, to purchase a, a residential property, two vehicles, and just like all of us, he was in Robin Hood playing the stock market, too. <laughs> uh, his name is Keith McConnell. He's 43 out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. He uh, submitted the fraudulent PPP loans and forged documents on behalf of his defunct Carlisle-based trucking company, KB Transportation LLC, the Department of Justice said in a statement last Friday. Yeah, that's right. And McConnell claimed his truck company had 26 employees and had monthly payroll in excess of $125,000. That's what he said. Mm. However, prosecutors claim that McConnell's trucking company didn't operate at all in 2019 Ooh. or 2020, and he had no employees or payroll expenses. Good thing no expenses if they have no employees. Yeah. After receiving his PPP loan, prosecutors allege he went on a personal spending spree purchasing a house, yeah. two vehicles, and investing in the stock market. Here's the thing. He tried. He went back to the well one too many times. Several yeah. months after receiving that first PPP loan, McConnell applied for a second loan for $155,200 in January of 2021. The funds were never dispersed, according to the uh, Department of Justice, and it might have been what got him clipped. Now he faces 30 years in prison. Look, it's always the arrogance that gets you, right? He got it away is. with it the first time, then he went back. Yeah. Back well, for seconds. Part of his, he didn't bury anybody yeah. either. That's... Don't double dip the chip. We got a shortage of those. No. Navistar hit by a cyber attack, but they are minimizing the potential impact. So not a ton of information is known on this. Uh -uh. In early reports, Alan Adler has a story. Navistar International Corp. told the Securities and Exchange Commission today that it was hit by a cyber attack in late May. The Illinois-based truck and bus manufacturer said it is minimizing potential impact by working with third-party cybersecurity experts and federal law enforcement. Yeah, uh, they provided brief details in an AKSEC filing saying it received a claim on May 31st that certain data had been extracted from the company's IT system. Uh, a Navistar spokeswoman uh, declined to say whether the company received a ransom demand or if they had paid one. Yeah, yeah, so we're not really sure. Details are still forthcoming. The company also said in a statement, following our incident response protocols, we immediately launched an investigation and deployed a series of countermeasures to protect their systems. The investigation is ongoing, and we have taken proactive steps to help minimize the potential impact. Navistar, they're right in the middle of finalizing a merger, which will make it become a subsidiary of Volkswagen AG's Tratton Group following that March shareholder vote approval of this $3.7 billion merger. Yeah. So big things going on we'll see the scope of this attack as things develop uh, throughout the day and throughout the week yeah robinson sage robinson has asked the supreme court to settle a negligent hiring battle now this is a case that um i definitely implore you to read mark solomon's whole story oh, yeah. it's deep deeper than we can cover here but it has to do with the transportation industry wants the u.s supreme court to resolve the contentious issue of whether a freight broker should be liable for damages resulting from accidents involving a trucker who the broker hired to move a load but who the broker purportedly did not employ or control other than by the aforementioned hiring right. sage robinson worldwide the nation's largest broker asked the high court to settle the long-running dispute over negligent hiring after an appellant court last September ruled the language embedded in a landmark 1994 law preempted state economic regulation of transportation services, preserved a state's authority to regulate safety through common tort, reform, tort reforms, and included those files against brokers who arise from truck accidents. The lower court denied Robinson's bid for a rehearing last November, but it's back in the news.
Yeah, it definitely is. There's no guarantee that justices will accept Robinson's petition. In fact, the vast majority of petitions for writ of certiorari. I mm. looked it up, man. Okay, what is it? Certiorari. Yes. I don't know what that means. Oh, but you just I, looked I, up how to pronounce it. Yeah, I just looked up. Yeah. <laughs> are, are, are denied. In its April petition, Robinson said the ruling with the Ninth Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals badly misinterprets the so-called safety exception written into the 1994 law, which is commonly <laughs> known as the FA. <laughs> this is F-A-A-A. It's a federal administration. Golden Sun. A common law tort claim against a broker does not represent an exercise of the state's regulatory powers. Robinson's argued the safety exception empowers a state to enact and enforce safety regulations, but does not extend its authority to act on private claims brought by private parties to com- compensate for past Injuries. Yeah, this is a battle that's been going on for nearly two decades between shippers, brokers, and carriers. They've waged war with plaintiffs, uh, with the plaintiffs' bar over the extent to which brokers carry the legal and financial liability for accidents involving those trucks and drivers engaged to transport a load. Plaintiff lawyers maintain that brokers are responsible for ensuring that a carrier and driver have met all appropriate safety requirements and that brokers have a much closer relationship with carriers than they publicly state. Interesting case. It is very interesting. It'll be, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty important too. Actually, it's one of those ones that if you gave if you gave me this topic in debate, I could I could easily see sides both ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I think it comes down to can you prove you uh, went through your you know yeah. proper. Um, I'm glad vetting. that's I'm glad that's up to the courts. Yeah, and not, not to me. Us too. No, 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 nobody, somebody's not going to be popular. I mean, there's compelling reasons to both sides. Though there's definitely compelling reasons there to is. both sides. Um, yeah. Let's have a guest on right now. It's Glenn uh, Spangenberg. He's the chief commercial officer over at Locomotion. And, you know, something really interesting about Glenn here is that he started his career a very long time ago when he was a Boy Scout getting merit badges with Frey. Glenn, is that true? Or did you start your career all the way back when you were a Boy Scout? Absolutely. 1973, the Boy Scouts of America came out with the truck transport merit badge. I just fell in love with the industry and uh, spent a bit of time at Matt Like Trucking doing an evening dispatch. Uh, taking collect calls and uh, right now where the driver was at, putting it in the white, uh, you know, the board so that everyone would, when they came on would know where the drivers were. Great start to the industry. Well, and how many Pinewood Derbies did you win? You look like a guy who would, uh, who'd own that, those tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many I won, but I certainly participated in a whole lot of them. It, it talked about aerodynamics and the trucking industry and why it matters so much. <laughs> that is awesome. So, hey, before we jump into it, tell us a little bit. Uh, we, before we tie this into you know uh, uh, autonomous trucking, is it true that you copyrighted the first mirrorless truck concept and and subsequently lobbied the FMCSA to grant a five year mirrorless truck exemption that allowed heavy duty trucks to operate and remove their physical mirrors? Was that you? Absolutely, that was me. That and that was me when everyone was saying it couldn't be done. Why would anyone want to take the mirrors off the truck? You know, why would the government ever give approval to remove the mirrors? And, you know, I just had a belief that it would be true, and it, it actually came to pass. Glenn, I like that you like to do things that people say can't be done, and one of those things is autonomous trucking, right? Right. Well, companies need to stop thinking about things that can't be done because it is being done, and it is going to happen. So what does it mean to engineer your supply chain for autonomous trucking and be prepared for that? It's not- Cuts, that's a, a certainty. I think the question around the timing uh, and the phasing of it and when it's going to come out makes a big difference. But today is the day to actually start beginning to, to engineer the supply chain for autonomous trucks because autonomous trucks won't be able to just jump on the road uh, and move from you know, the warehouse to your front door and deliver you know, your supplies autonomously. 
It has to be designed. It has to be engineered so that you can take the most benefit out of the technology as soon as it's available. And I don't mean as soon as it's available to take a driver out of the truck. I mean, as soon as it's available for the trucks to get on the road and start testing, they should be hauling freight. They should be hauling freight that you've designed around an autonomous truck network. A lot of money to be made if you do this correctly. And, you know, why wait? So, so as a as a shipper, I should be looking at my entire network and, and seeing how I'm moving different things in, in order to get ready for this? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. I'd say as a shipper and a carrier. So yeah. with motor carriers and the locomation model, what we're focused on is a platooning model where the follower vehicle is actually going to be in autonomous mode. Mm-hmm. The whole convoy is going to be led by a driver who's cognitively engaged in the process of driving. Uh, and as you prepare for that particular implementation, if you do that today, you're going to get two loads on a route that you're normally getting one load on, which means you're going to get an increase in the yield uh, out of that particular route. You're also going to get better utilization because the vehicles are going to be operating, even though they have drivers in both of the vehicles today, they'll be operating as though they were operating autonomously in a convoy and you get the benefits of the fuel economy and uh, and higher utilization and so forth. So it's, it's worth it today. It'll give you the gains that you're looking for. Yeah, let's drill a little deeper into what it means for yeah. each one of those parties, the carriers, the brokers, and the shippers, to be good partners, to be ready for this this incoming uh, wave of autonomous trucks. So let's start with the carriers. What should they be thinking about now? Is there a, is there a checklist? If I you know I'm running a, a fleet, what where should I where should my head be at right now? Yeah, your head should be at what is your freight mix and what does the density look like? What we're finding is that shippers are willing to put in more freight to carrier. Uh, who's looking to engineer for an autonomous convoy, uh, where in the past they would give one load originating at one particular geography heading to another. They're not willing to ante in two particular loads. So if you're a carrier, the question is going to be, can you load enough density into your system to be able to run a convoying uh, application from point to point and essentially relay back and forth and back and forth? A little bit more local activity that's required on each end of the uh, delivery, but that line haul becomes super efficient and to the point where it could save 30% operating expense, which means you know profits at that level are going to quadruple. And in trucking, that's a that's a fairly big number. So if you're a carrier, you know the question is is where can we actually get the density to support relay convoys that are automated? And the fact is, is it's out there. If you you know if you look into the network deep enough, you're going to find that you may only have a limited amount of freight. But the truth is we can find more freight from the shipper community that will actually allow you to double up on the amount of freight that you're running, not just then, but today. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. I wasn't thinking along those lines as yeah. far as, as that lane balance, right? You've got to be looking at that type of stuff. So what you're referring to there. So let's th- let's jump into the to the broker side of things. What, what from a broker side do I really need to be looking at and planning for? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say broker 3PL are sort of in that same uh, mix. So a broker is going to be more transactional commodity type of business. But a 3PL is actually going to be planning freight movements, very similar to what we do with our algorithm. Our algorithm, instead of planning for one load uh, for one driver for one set of assets, it's planning for two. Uh, so from a 3PL perspective, they've got a, lot, a much bigger portfolio of business, shipper business, uh, that they're going to be planning uh, toward. And the fact of the matter is, is that if they can sweeten that pie for the motor carrier, as well as for the shipper, they also are going to benefit. Everyone in that entire loop is going to benefit uh, for higher freight, better utilization. The density of that's tremendous. So you get more capacity as a 3PL and as a shipper than you normally would when you're out, I'll call it begging for 
uh, for trailers. Uh, this is a way to absolutely build up the amount of freight that you're able to ship in any given direction at any time. So 3PLs are going to benefit because they can use the same algorithms uh, to plan loads two at a time instead of one at a time. And how about shippers? Because shippers could have touch points at the dock, at distribution centers, yeah. at, at warehouses, all throughout their mix. So they have a lot to consider here, too, especially with giving and receiving the freight. So um, we can end on them. Where, where, do, where, do you, where should they be at? Yeah, absolutely. Shippers, I think, are going to stand to benefit tremendously through the increase in available resources, available capacity. So instead of reaching out and looking for capacity that may or may not be there, brokering that freight because they can't find a, you know, a tractor in real time to get that done, the shipper now has the capacity to find two at a time to get the loads planned, to get them shipped, to get them on the road, uh, and really is a higher touch point, uh, you know, in terms of these relays between point A and point B. Uh, and, you know, the, the shipper is really going to be the one who's going to add capacity as a result of that and potentially lower their expenses related to the purchase transportation cost. So, Glenn, in, in your estimation, how far away, away from seeing this as widespread, moving from these test lanes that we see out in the southwest, desert southwest, et cetera, where they are actually moving some freight, but away from that, and it's just it's widespread common practice? Yeah, I, I think we're going to be probably the latter part of this decade before we really have you know enough lanes and enough density to prove that the model is going to work long term. It will work. It absolutely will work because the economics are so compelling. We'll find a way to do that. Uh, but I think uh, at the onset, we're going to just see, you know, limited production rolling out uh, in lanes that are designed specifically to handle this type of equipment uh, and to run this type of freight. And I think we're going to see that probably for the next uh, several years as it proves, as the vehicles themselves prove that they're as safe as or safer uh, than the regular trucks that are running today with the human driver at the wheel. Now, Glenn, before I let you go, let me ask you something, because we started the show talking about Lonnie Johnson, and he made the super soaker while trying to make a space <laughs> injector. You're an inventor yourself. You made these driverless mirrors. You think you're in danger of making the next great summer toy? <laughs> I don't know. I, I can think about that, but I'll tell you, when I was watching your show and hearing that, it did. Uh, it was a great throwback to my childhood as well, and I miss those speakers. I think they're well worth it. I hadn't thought about putting a bleach in there. I may have done that as a young man, but... Uh, you know, I think it's a great invention. We'll see if I can come up with something uh, new next, but I'm looking forward to it. It's a lot of fun. Well, Glenn, we, we got a lot of faith in you. For people who want to get prepared for uh, this incoming storm of autonomous trucking, the end of the decade, where should we send them to? Yeah, drop a note to info at locomation.ai. Info at locomation.ai. Locomation. Thank you very much, Glenn. We appreciate your time today and keep doing great things. Take it easy. Good times with him. Yeah, it's a really interesting subject, man. And, and you know, I, I love that, talking about getting your infrastructure ready. You ever invent anything? Uh, Swing hinge? I didn't invent it. <laughs> so you were no, telling me, coincidentally, right? So my okay. kids are into Jurassic Park Camp Cretaceous yeah. right now. They're a little, yes. uh, my wife's a little concerned they'll be afraid of, of the movie, the, the 1993 blockbuster. Right? Yeah. But your kids are watching over the weekend. Good yeah. times. I don't think my kids will be that afraid. They can leave no, the room. I don't think yeah. they will. But we'll, we'll let them watch it. But one of the things is so, one of the reasons that movie holds up so well, it looks so great, is yeah. all those dinosaurs aren't CGI. There were some scenes where they were enhanced with CGI, but a lot of it was models and, yes. and full size figures. Yes, it was. How do you move junk like that? How do you move a raptor around? Um, um, you mean like transport it? Yeah. Uh, um, you don't know, do you? I haven't the slightest clue. Do we have an expert we can possibly yes, we do. talk to by chance? Of course chance? we do. We have an all expert right. we're going to bring up right now. Is Bob Buzzy. He's National Account 
manager over at BWS Logistics, who are usually moving wine and spirits. But when I brought up this topic of moving uh, strange and unusual freight, the first thing you sent me were these dinosaurs, and I'm excited to hear about them. So we were introducing you, talking about how you sent us those photos of those yep. uh, velociraptors. Tell us a little bit about that project and what goes into it. It's, well, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, meeting the needs is kind of what, what you do as a, as a 3PL, whether it be to uh, move uh, extremely heavy objects, extremely large, or, you know, whether it be a, a museum installment, anything like that. Uh, this is just something that came up and I thought it was interesting. I have an eight-year-old and he's also very, very into to the dinosaurs and the, and the uh, Camp Cretaceous. He's got, he's probably owns 75 of the 202 that are available on the scannable Camp Cretaceous app, if you've seen that. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're deep into it. And, you know, we've watched all 10 episodes this season as well. But to get back to your point, uh, it's just a matter of meeting needs and uh, having the right capacity for the right equipment. So you look at what you've got, see what the best way to do it. In this case, it was a, uh, a move uh, where we used a Conestoga, which is is beneficial because you can do the side loading and then strap it down very effectively and then slide the curtain on it. So, uh, you know, that's just kind of what we did on this one. Yeah, let's take a look at some of the the pictures of the dinosaurs here and you can can talk us through them. Uh, That looks like the the planning stage, right? Is that how all these things start? Oh, yeah, you got to start with the planning stage. And I bring my son into this. There you go. (laughs) That's That's the planning stage. On my uh, <laughs> kitchen table, I sort of sent that as a joke, but I think it's kind of cute. <laughs> I think it's but... awesome. <laughs> and, and next, <laughs> and then you uh, then you then you go into uh, you know more of the real the real life. So you uh, get a truck on site. You have the proper strapping. That's a, a huge machine that I, I moved. Uh, we move a lot of those. Those are uh, CNC machines. Uh, that we move. Uh, let's look uh, at dinosaurs, though. That's a cool machine. But let's yeah. stick with the dinosaurs yeah, yeah. for now. So, so you started okay. on your kitchen table with your with your son, right? And then it, it moves right. forward. What did you learn in particular about moving dinosaurs? Are these actual animatronics, or are these just statues, or what are these? <laughs> well, I think these are uh, uh, more of a statue than an animatronic to be yeah. to be used at a a location. Uh, Gotcha. In Florida. <laughs> gotcha. But when and, you uh, get into this thing, you say it's about it's about really being accepting and saying yes to certain things that you're like, I'm not so sure, but I think we got the expertise to figure this out, right? And, and yeah, you we, start building we did on look that expertise. At the, exactly. And we looked at uh, we looked at the packaging that they provided and to see how that was done, worked with our uh, various uh, carrier options out there. And I know I happen to have a lot of uh, flatbed type people that, uh, that this was better for. We could have slid these on a dry van, but I just thought yeah. it was safer and more effective to do it this way. Just you get more, more direct access to each individual of, uh, of the four that were on that, on that load. Now, when you're moving a celebrity like that, who, who brokers a deal like this? You're talking to Universal, you're talking to Steven Spielberg. How, how, what goes into uh, it? Um, you know, it's a few, it's a few customers deep, I'm sure, but, uh, they asked me not to mention, uh, who the customer was, but, uh, you know, it's, let's just say it went to Florida. <laughs> ah, okay. Because they're opening Jurassic Park. That's what hey, they it have is. a really a real... sick ride over there. The Velociraptor, the, Veloc- the Velocicoaster ride. Could have been it. Yeah. Could have been it. It was Florida. We never know. Not that right. you said it's, anything. Yeah. We have no exactly, clue. But, uh, mm-hmm. can, uh, so you guys usually are hauling. Michael um, Benson, can you go ahead? Good. I was going to say, Michael Vincent, can you name the the four raptors from no. from the movie? I know I cannot. Dooner, you can, right? I mean, I, I'm stuck at blue, yellow, green, yeah, blue, orange, blue, Echo, Delta, Charlie. 
Wow. All right. I just lost my nerd card pretty hard. I'll just tear that thing up. Yeah. <laughs> Set it on fire. Hey, usually, usually yeah. you're moving like wine. You're not usually moving dinosaurs, and you're usually moving wine and spirits and those kinds of things. Wine and spirits, right? Hey, tough commodity. You're talking about something that's both fragile and regulated. So, what what is particular and special about moving that good? Well, you have to you have to kind of understand which which uh, permits are are uh, required for each individual given state. They're all different, and uh, some people are. You know, hesitant to want to handle that stuff. That that's a, a load that went out actually out to export that I handled. There's uh, there's another one there with some nice some nice dunnage there to keep it in place. Um, but yeah, you you have to mainly look at the uh, it's they're mostly dry van moves up to forty two forty three thousand pounds. It's mainly all about the the licenses. If you deal with the people uh, uh, in let's say New Jersey, we've got people out there that are, we do a lot of. Uh, Consolve for wine movement, and uh, they've they've all they're all licensed out there. I'm trying to uh, work on some loads this week coming out of Fort Smith, Arkansas. It's a little little slimmer pickings down there to find people. You know, you can find carriers, but then you got to find one that can that can accept and handle and has the permit. You wouldn't think that Arkansas would require a liquor permit, but they do. So it's mainly just knowing knowing which ones require the permits, and if they're if you need one to cross state lines and all that kind of stuff. So, so Robert, let me ask you this. You're working with uh, glass and wine, you know, spirits. It's obviously fragile and regulated, et cetera. Dinosaurs, helicopters, all this crazy stuff. Are, are, does this lead you into services for other things that maybe aren't regulated or aren't oversized but are fragile and need to be handled with care a little bit more? Is that oh, yeah. you experts there as well? I like to think I'm an expert just because I've been doing this so long, and, uh, you know, for just many, many, many years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's about having a network of people and who you can call on for certain things. I can't do it all myself, just like anyone else. Uh, I have, I have different carriers with different expertise that I, that I call on and, uh, you know, that I've built up over the years and, you know, I can handle some of the weird stuff and, and some of the, the one-offs. And I also can handle, uh, yeah, that's a helicopter, uh, from the helicopter show. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, we've we've shipped those. We've shipped we've shipped airplanes internationally over from France and in pieces. Um, I'm I'm actually working on something to go up to the uh, to an air show in Henderson, Nevada, uh, coming out of off of an ocean uh, liner in uh, the East so, Coast from so- Norfolk. So, Robert, like the NMFC gives specific packaging uh, uh, requirements, right, for limits Mm -hmm. of liability, et cetera, that type of stuff. When you're moving this type of stuff, there isn't anything there. How do you comply with insurance and stuff like that while while you're packaging this? You have to ask the the value, and then you see what your carrier's coverage is. And, of course, we have our own insurance as well. And a lot of them have uh, have uh, their own coverage, so they don't really ask. They they don't ask for a declared value or a – an excess declared value to be listed. Um, we, we, we do ask, and if it's a, a really high amount, we will get an, a rider for some additional coverage well, to I make just, sure. I was from, do you, do you have to prove sufficient amount of packaging in any way or, or that type of thing? Uh, we, we, you know, it's just a matter of uh, if it's a customer we've dealt with on a repetitive basis, but if it's going to like a museum installation or something like that, you, you want to ask them some questions about the internal packaging. What's it look like? And, uh, I mean, I go back to my days in freight forwarding when the, when the first TVs came out that were plasma TVs. And if you remember how fragile those were and we shipped those all over, uh, both, both for 
consumers and also for trade shows. And it was always the biggest, the biggest thing was, okay, what was, what was the condition when you slipped it into that sleeve, you know, yeah. and sometimes you had to plug it in and at, at the, the point of the start and then, and at the, at the delivery, but things have, uh, there, there's some really creative people with packaging. It's, it's, it's amazing that how, how well they do that and how well they build, they build those, uh, those type of things. Um, so that's a great question though. Excellent. Bob, tell us about this green machine that we're looking at, that we're going to look at now too. What, what, what are you hauling over here? Uh, okay. So that's, uh, that's a piece that was used that is used for mining and, uh, it's, 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 it's basically called a reducer. So it takes, uh, uh, like coal goes in the middle there and grinds it up into a smaller amount. That piece right there weighed 115,000 pounds. It took two cranes to lift it and it had to be on a trailer with, uh, 10 axles to spread out the weight. So, you know, again, I've got, a, I've got a network of those people. That's, that's actually from my time at GES in trade show, uh, logistics and, and trade shows are coming back. So I look forward to handling more of this type of, uh, uh, shipment in the future. Uh, oh, wow. So, hey, tell, that is. hey, before we let you go, tell us a little bit about that, that pivot. So you usually do in the wines and spirits, but with trade shows coming back, does that, how, how big of a business is that for BWS? Well, it's, it's, it's only going to get bigger. Uh, it's, as, it's going to be as big as I can make it because that's one of my expertises in trade show and the trade shows really are starting to come back this fall, uh, full, full, full boom. And, uh, we'll see you guys at F3. So hopefully right. that's going to be an awesome experience, but that, that machine right there that you're looking at will probably be in Vegas in September for the mine expo, which is a, uh, show that doesn't happen every year. So they're, they're kind of lucky that it's, they, they rolled it over from last year. It was supposed to be last year. Cool stuff. Hey, but the, let's spin the wheel for, before we let him oh, go, yeah, spin yeah, the wheel for him, Mike, spin it, spin I'm it, spin it, spin it. I'll, I'll, I'll just warn you. You know, right. this is good. Spin the wheel, make the something deal. You're going to, you're going right. to know. Uh, <laughs> have you ever found anybody trapped inside one of those Velociraptor uh, legs? Inside a Velociraptor leg? Yeah. No, one of those years. Nobody. No, okay. never. Okay. No. We're just no, asking. Just wondering. We, we found about that one guy who I got was... trapped in there who was stuck in there for two weeks. And, uh, oh, really? Found him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not those, not those Velociraptors. Not the ones you shipped. In, uh, in Europe. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I have Bob. never been trapped in one. No, I wouldn't. Good question, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an excellent question. <laughs> Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you thank coming you on the show. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate your time. Have a great day. Right on. Take it easy. All right. Again, I'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and its West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at Tell em, Dude. Oh, man. Go to newlegendinc.com. Immediately after the show. All right. Jason Good, Brokers Director, Tranco National. He's joining us right now. Chattanooga Freight Scene. He's been around it. He's been at Coyote. He's been at Venger. Now he's over with Tranco. Let's bring him up. What's up, man? Hey. Hey, guys. How you doing? Oh, you brought Nathan with you, too? Yeah, he's here. He's hanging out with us. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm out of here. Hey, guys. How are you? <laughs> hey, what's happening, man? Hey, so, Jason. Hey, first, let's start. Let's talk about this Chattanooga Freight Scene a little bit. We got F3 coming up in November. People yeah. might want to know about what it's like to work in a brokerage down here. You've been at three of them. What's it like to work in Freight Alley? Freight Alley. Chattanooga. Uh, oh. Well, it's good. Oh, it's this uh, is going well. You know, it's different. It's more laid back. It's, you know, it's it's more my style. It's, it's uh, you know, the... The other companies were, were good companies, but I just found my fit here. Everybody seems like a family, and uh, we love and I love doing it here. So I mean, it's it's doing great over here. 
Cool. So um, tell me about this dog, Winston. Who is this Winston that I see all over LinkedIn and on the website? So that is uh, Olivia who does that, who handles our marketing. And uh, the dog actually belongs to the owner. um, And he comes every Wednesday. (laughs) The company, we just hit 26 years. And uh, Winston comes. He's here every Wednesday. And we always try and get a different picture with him. And uh, he's... He's a good dog. He's he walks around and smells everybody's lunch boxes oh, and <laughs> decide that's actually Jason Good's dog right there. Oh wow. Um, oh, there you go. Nice. And, What's that good boy's uh, name? Uh Gunner. He actually uh he's actually gone, but he's you know, he's he's greatly missed. But yeah. sorry, I didn't mean to get Oh, yeah, no. So yeah. we didn't mean to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about freight a little bit because, you know, t- and tugboats are what we're going to talk about. Usually you see yeah. tugboat, it's pulling yeah. boats. Yeah. Right? It's don't... pulling boats through channels yeah. right now, yeah. but they got to get to the water somehow and usually on a truck of some sort. So tell us what goes into hauling tugboats. Well, uh, yeah, this is a barge boat that I moved. It's uh, usually it's overdimensional. Uh, it's uh, for this particular boat's 14 wide and it's also, uh, but it's only 10 tall. So it can it can fit on a step deck trailer. Um, say if it was over ten six tall, it would need to go on an RGN trailer, removable gooseneck. Um, that way, it's not uh, going over the the over height and and all that. So it, it, I mean, honestly, I rely on the carriers to get this done. I, I you know whoever uh, calls on it or whatever the case may be, I get them to get the permits and you know and it varies each state by state on um, you know with the the pricing and this is the another boat with the same customer. Um, you know, and you can see how tall it is. Um, but if this was, uh, over 10, six, I would need a lower trailer on that bottom deck to get this moved so it can be legal to move instead of illegal. Um, so it's just, when it comes to like certain width, like 14 wide, you'll need escorts front or rear. Um, and then also, uh, with the height, some, some are so high that you need like a survey pole on the front car that, that you, I don't know if you guys see the on the highways. You see like the cars that say, you know, the trucks that say permits, and then have the car following it or in front of it. Yeah, uh, you'll need that for moves like this. And this particular load I moved from uh, Panama City to Oregon. So, you know, you just imagine the cost on the permits and the escorts. So, yeah, uh, I can imagine. And and oftentimes you got to go what would be considered out of route, right? Uh, so uh, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so are, are boats, your, your, is that your specialty in the oversized or boats, or you do other oversized stuff? Actually, I've done, I've done quite a bit. I've, you know, that's just one of my customers I do. I haul a lot of excavators, uh, you know, just regular wheel loaders with, with large buckets on the front. Um, you know, I, I've done turbines, um, turbine, and then, um, I mean, it's, it just varies. You know, I, I have, uh, I've been doing this for six or seven years, overdimensional, so, you know, I have, I have pretty good knowledge on you ever, haul any, you ever haul any dinosaurs? I have not. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, Let me I appreciate you y'all, so, I appreciate I y'all a... putting us in. I, push, I appreciate y'all putting us in right after Robert, the, who's like the genius of all OD loads in America. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we're giving you a shot. We tried to quiz you on Chattanooga, and, and Jason didn't know what Free yeah. Valley was. So. Yeah, I, <laughs> I knew we had a brain fart. Sorry about that. Hey, <laughs> Jason, Jason, where are you from originally? Jason concentrate. He concentrates on our OD stuff, and Jason is an extreme asset to us, and that's why I was so glad when you reached out, Dinner. Yeah. Um, he, he does a great job. He's been Broker of the Month multiple times. Last month, he, he had an amazing month, and he only ran 13 loads. So wow. it's, he's doing a lot of overdimensional, a lot of work, 
high-end stuff. So I'm really proud of him, and he does a great job for us. Well, I'll tell you why. Yeah. If you're a shipper out there, this would happen a lot <laughs> when I worked for a traditional broker. We didn't do out-of-dimension stuff, right? Yeah. You get calls all the time. Can right. we do it? Can we do it? I'd go up to you know our shipping manager and say, hey, can we move? The- no, no, we can't. We don't want that. Yeah, yeah, Nobody yeah, wants yeah. it. Nobody yeah. wants it. No one wants the um, risk. They're not going to have that frustration if they encounter you, they encounter Bob. But for shippers who are kind of out there, they're not really sure to do in those circumstances where they don't have something that just fits in a 53, a 20, or a 40. What do you advise for them to do? Um, I mean, honestly, a lot of it has to do with knowledge. I mean, um, you know, I would I would recommend uh, reaching out to, you know, uh, certain you know, friends or, or whoever they know to, you know, see what they need for that particular shipment. Um, a lot of it has to do with just try and error, try and error. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I hate to say it this way, but they need to send an email to oversize at tranconational.com and we'll answer <laughs> yeah. their questions. No, that's a, that's a, no, that's a, that's a solid point. That's a solid point. But to follow up with that though, as you do this, you learn more and more, right? I mean, you yeah. just don't jump in and start moving, you know, dinosaurs and tugboats, right? So uh, do you run into things where you say, well, wait a minute, we're not quite ready for that yet. Let's get them to this expert and then follow up. Uh, well, at first, you know, of course it was like that, but you know, uh, you know, over the time you, you just learn. And I, I mean, I, I'll take anything on, that's just the way I, you know, I do. But, um, at first it was, you know, trial and error and you, you got to kind of learn and just kind of thrown into the wolves, uh, so to speak. But, uh, no, I mean, for me, you know, I was, I was willing to take it on and, and I would do my research before I even accepted anything. And, you know, and that's just basically what anybody should do, you know, so. All right, spin the wheels. Spin, send right, to the wheels. Spinning. Send them to the wheels. Send them. I got to see what's going to happen here. What's coming up? What's coming up? Very what do we got topical. For very topical. Okay. Very topical. It? So, Jason, how much would you have to get paid in order to fight Logan Paul? Uh, to fight Logan Paul. Yeah. Man, I'd take him. At F3. I'd take him, man. About a mil. About mill? a mill. Okay. Yeah. Some yeah. people would do it for free. A happy mill. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some parents would do it for free. Right, Logan? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Who's the good I'd one? Take an Logan. For a million dollars. I don't know. Yeah. All right, guys. Hey, he, would, he, would definitely, he would definitely whoop me up. He hung in there with Mayweather for eight rounds. So, I mean, yeah. he whooped me up in RB. Well, Mayweather was paid to take a dive, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks once again, guys. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in November hey, thanks, at F3. We'll, we'll probably see you before then, hanging around. Take it easy. Yeah, we're here. See see thanks for having us. All right, take it easy. Let's talk to let's talk to Melissa Talkmec. Let's do that. She's the head of documents at Scale. Scale, a huge company. If you've seen some of the logos that this company has for the data and document management, it's incredible. But her story starts in a small town in Turkey. So let's let her introduce herself, and we'll find out a little bit where she came from before we jump into all this. Melissa, thank you for joining us. Hello, hi. Thank you for having me. So, hey, how does someone from a small town in Turkey end up working for places like Instagram and Facebook directing product before ending up at Scale? Scale's one of those companies that if you weren't like in the business, you might not know about them. But if you know about them, you know exactly how huge they are. No, that's that's correct. So I grew up in a very small town. It's called Salihli in Turkey, in western Turkey. And my parents actually still live there, uh, have a small shop and they operate that shop. So I think uh, the story goes back to relentlessness. All my life, I really wanted to be able to go to places to be able to hopefully give them a better life later on and found my way to the U.S. for college. 
and studied at Stanford, uh, studied computer science. And it did, you know, it was hard to get there, but thankfully along the way, a lot of people have supported me. And then I have met our CEO, Alex, after a few years of stint in different companies um, and really recognized uh, a person who also values relentlessness and, and learning. And I try to be around people where I will learn even more and push myself the most. And then I moved to scale. But you're right. It takes a little bit of, um, uh, you know, being understanding the value and really focusing on technology and following the people who work hard to hear about a company like this. Yeah, you know, I, I think it would be awesome to have a show and just go into your background and talk about, you know, women in technology yeah. and in trucking, et cetera, because it's amazing. But let's jump into scale a little bit. As Dooner mentioned, man, the the, the the logos that are there, Flexport, GM, Luminar, Oshkosh, Department of Defense, U.S. Air Force, PayPal, Square, all these things are there and incredibly growth there. What is scale? Why are all these people signed up? What's going on? Yeah, that's a very good question. So we focus on machine learning. We help companies do machine learning with various products. For some, it's really preparing the data for them to be able to build the machine learning models themselves. For others uh, who may not want to build these teams themselves, we build it for them and deploy it in production. So I think all those logos you see on the website are uh, speaking to two things. One, the future of machine learning uh, in our world. And two, the ability of scale to be able to deploy this in production. So machine learning and AI, artificial intelligence, will be is already the technology that will help all these industries that you have been counting as well, from government to healthcare, financial services, logistics, supply chain, across the board, because people are really understanding the value of data and using that data for future products and being better, faster, and cheaper. And the second part is that we get to work with these amazing companies because for the past five years, we have been really building up all the products to build that data stack to help them in every step of the way to deploy machine learning and reap the benefits in their own work. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I was looking on the site too, and some of it looks like stuff that you know doesn't look that challenging, parsing data for, from emails. But if you've ever tried mm. to do it, it's a lot harder than you think it is, yeah. especially to have clean, good data. You know, this is a company that's raised that, that's valued at seven billion dollars now. They just had a Series A of over three hundred million, big, big deal. Uh, you know, and the name is Scale. So when we're talking about dealing with data at scale, even things simple like email parsing, how much of a challenge does it present for all these companies? Yeah, I think the challenge is is big, especially if we're talking about scale for these companies. I'm like, it's a funny pun, but a lot of these companies really come to us because they are looking to scale, increase their volumes, right? If you're only looking through 10, 100 of emails, yes, maybe you don't really need that or documents, especially in this case. We'll talk about the partnership with Flexport too. But if you are trying to modernize global trade, then you are uh, working with a lot more data than anyone can deal with. This is when machine learning comes into place and the problem becomes much harder because you're not really trying to process these things in the moment, but you're building systems that can process these things just like humans, even when you're not there to gain more efficiencies. 
Yeah, absolutely. So you 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 mentioned Flexport, and we'll get into that. So let's get into that. What are you what are you doing right now? What is your partnership with Flexport? Yeah, Flexport. We have been working very closely with Flexport to be able to increase their efficiency. We have deployed machine learning systems to process all the documents that they're dealing with uh, when it comes to logistics and uh, accurately, easily, and very quickly extract data from those documents for many different purposes. So one of them is, of course, trying to do this really fast. You guys know this better than me. You're uh, more of experts. But uh, the whole whole system, moving goods from point A to point B, takes a long time. And we're currently at an age where everyone really expects everything, let alone, like days, hours, and, and faster. So one of the parts that take uh, really a lot of time still in this industry is physical documents. How you you are able to process them, get the information out of them accurately, for example, with the customs documents, so that they can go through these ports without any issue and arrive to the customers um, faster. And, and, and basically, this becomes your edge in the industry uh, especially in a fragmented industry where everyone is competing for giving better services. So what we have done is really partnered with their engineering teams, and we have built these systems that take in documents like bill of lading, arrival notices, and um, you know commercial invoices, and deploy the machine learning models to be able to process them fully uh, in a way that is robust to variability. Because until now, any systems that have been used have not been robust to variability. They require different business logics that requires Flexports teams to sit down and for hours create those templates or key in information uh, from documents or check if it's correct or not. And of course, Flexport wants to use these great brains for tasks that are harder than just keying in information uh, to the computer. So we have deployed these different systems. So currently, uh, when a you know a shipment starts, documents come in, we're able to really process these very fast through these models and give back the information. So this helps with two things, right? One, it's about the efficiency. How can you do it faster and cheaper and gain this competitive edge? But also, two, how can you build better future products. So logistics industry today is sitting on a treasure trove of data, right? It's all in all it's locked in all these in all these documents or routes or the notifications that you get, the emails, the faxes, everything you get about the shipment, right? And if you can unlock that data, there's actually so many new products that you can build from product analytics to actually giving better insights to the customer themselves to be able to move their goods faster and much cheaper throughout the world. So that's what we're partnering on today and expanding from there to a lot more data types. Yeah, I mean, the, the I mean, I've done thousands of customs entries, like, especially when I was at FedEx Trade Networks, do, yeah. dealing with, with Reebok, tons of footwear. And, and the sensitive data on there was your, your customs classification of each of the individual footwear, um, you know, invoice value, all of those kind of things, your Inco terms. But the one fear was entering something wrong when you're doing oh, a yeah. customs entry. So how do you trust the data? I mean, is that why you work with a partner by scale? But how do you trust that you're getting the right data? And how does Flexport trust that they're getting the right data back and forth from you? 
Yeah, no, that's a very good question. So what we do, there are a lot of different quality systems throughout. First of all, when you're building the models, you really need to build them in a way that can handle different edge cases and different data types. Uh, for example, you said that you handled a lot of customs data. So you know that they don't even follow a, a sometimes a logical pattern. Like yeah. Things can go over different columns and they can be in multiple rows. How do you know it's the same information? So there, there are different ways. One, it's really being able to build better machine learning models. So this is really deeply rooted in itself, having a great machine learning team that constantly does research and applies the latest technology to build these systems mm. that can learn from the volume of documents. And two, it's that, as you say, being a brand that a lot of companies, you know, trust with and work with and having access to all this um, information and different problems across the way helps us to be able to implement better systems that will catch the next ones, right? And lastly, I think here, this also touches upon um you know, the machine learning systems itself, we always have optional human in the loop for forces from our side to ensure that, you know, on all those data that the machine learning confidence, machine learning system confidence is low, we can route to a human and the human can confirm at all times. So this is everything really we do on our side. And we can also always work with our customers where they have QA or quality assurance teams if they do have it and really ensure another check if they would like it. However, we already do all of those things on our side, so they don't really need to. Wow. Well, it's very exciting stuff, Melissa. How do people uh, yeah. learn more? I know you have a lot more information on your website. So if we could send them over there, where should we send them to? Of course. So if you go to scale.com slash document, so you can really learn about all of our products and read uh, our case studies and see how we're working with all these companies and handling different data types to deploy machine learning models to get all these efficiencies. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. No, Michael Vincent, some of the things that like, even just doing entries, you know, when you're dealing with like Europeans, for example, they would have, instead of a dot, right? Instead of a yeah. dot in, in money, oh, yeah. you know, $100.18, dot yep. cents, it would be like $100, comma, 18 cents. Yes. They're simple things, but like you have to know the industry and you have to know the nuances of the invoices to really be, be able to parse and action that data without having some uh, crazy results. Yeah, absolutely. And then trying to convert that to a machine doing that? Yeah is a little bit different. It sounds right. like they're on the right path, though. Oh, I mean, yeah. You, I mean, it's a matter of going through their building that scale. That's yeah. what they're doing at hey, scale. Sounds like a big deal. Yeah, Time for a little big is. deal, little deal. Big deal. Little deal. Boom, boom. All right. Regatron. Are we still big in uh, Jamaica right now? I hope so. I don't know. All right. According to CNN, ransomware attacks saddle Biden with grave national security crisis. What do you think? In our lead story, we talked about a ransomware attack, Michael Vincent. Yeah. No, it, it, um, uh, it, it's a big deal. I think it's a bigger yeah. deal than people actually realize it is because they can attack, uh, you know, security systems uh, uh, and you, just the scare in the in the uh, uh, with the uh, the pipeline. Yeah, food and right. gas just attacked recently. Food and gas just attacked. Uh, not not good. And then hospitals, transportation, well, what about et cetera, the beef, so the beef, the beef attack too, and the beef attack that just happened yeah. as well. So uh, yeah, no, it's it's a big deal. There's a lot of things that need to be looked into this, and and you know he's got a lot on his plate. He's got to figure out how to do the defense first, and yeah. then hopefully some offense to deter. Right. The best deterrence is a good offense. Right. Yeah. I think during his admin, I mean, this is a topic worth bringing up because I think during his administration, we're going to see more 
state-sponsored attacks than ever on, on governments and on private entities I, I here think in the US. we are. And, and, the, and one of the bigger problems here that makes it even a bigger deal is the political ramifications of this in international policy and, and relationships. Uh, a lot of these are claimed to be uh, groups that are on Russian soil, which does not make it easier for him trying to repair those. Well, here's the thing, too. We saw the disruption that happened in the, in the Suez when you get a container blocked, yeah. right? Shut down a port anywhere globally, right? The crane fell over in Taiwan last week. That, that shut down the port flow. And all, there's a, they just shut down another port because of COVID. All of these yeah, things is only a 30%. Chain, yeah, Yenchen, it doesn't necessarily yeah. matter if it happens in the United States. Yeah, no, it doesn't. It doesn't have to happen here. It's a huge deal. It's worldwide. It's a big problem. Big, big, big problem. Uh, big deal, little deal. Four Kites receives a U.S. patent for supply chain visibility technology. Dooner, they're looking at shipments that don't have an IoT device on. It's interesting. It's like Lonnie Johnson and his Super Soaker patent. It's right? not tracked, but they're tracking it for you. Yeah, it's interesting. So the, the patent, I could read the language on here, but I'm not sure how helpful it would be. But basically, in a situation where they have visible data and invisible data, data they can make assumptions on, but they don't mm-hmm. exactly have the direct traffic on the sim- yeah. on. The shipment, yeah. but they have enough data to know that that shipment is amongst a pair. It's traveling within a, a fleet or a convoy of other freight, right, or right. it's closely tied to that, a close exit of the port. They can then action that data to create um, uh, ETAs with above 85% accuracy. It's pretty good. Now, I got to ask you, it's an interesting patent, and it can be a little uh, a little esoteric when you're talking about data patents, right, and what exactly that entails, and can I just chain a line of, change a line of code, and, and does this have here? But I asked Grace Sharkey, who wrote this story, if she thinks that this is an offensive move or a defensive move. Are they trying to protect their own tech yeah, yeah, that they've yeah. been working on since 2015, or are they looking at what else is happening in the market and saying, we're already doing that, now we have the patent, and now you're going to pay us? Now... Mm. If they start suing a bunch of people, it could be a pretty big deal. It'll be interesting to see how it could be how, a really uh, big deal. <laughs> how that shapes up in that space, especially in visibility. Yeah, it goes from an interesting and very cool deal to a very big deal, an important deal, right? It, it does. And, you know, when you, when you talk about patents, you talk about lawyers, you have to consider what the actual purpose is. And I'm not saying Fork Heights is going to go out there and sue everybody, but it, there have been lawsuits before. Um, so we'll yeah. see. Yeah, we're not saying this is exactly this is their motive. It was yeah. a question. It's an interesting well, it's thing to contemplate. Right. Yeah. Outside of their rights either. They've been working yeah. on this technology for it's six completely years. completely within their rights yeah. to do it. But yeah. how much impact it could have on other visibility providers is really remains to be seen, and that'll be interesting to look. So if that is heavily enforced, then that could be a pretty big deal. It is. And, and I think in and of itself, the technology and ability to do this with 85% is a fairly big deal to me just yeah. because extrapolating that from you know incomplete data and getting this information and driving that forward is something we need to do because you're not always going to have that data. No, not what, but I mean, what do you do now? You get something like me where your couch will arrive August 30th till September. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, your arrival is somewhere in the next four months. Hey, remember that story? We, remember that story we did about the gangs on the smuggling ship, right? Someone, the, the Merce gang. Oh, where they pulled up and started loading cocaine yep. or something on the ship. Yeah, right yeah. There. See, uh, yeah. More gangs. Okay, this time in the air in Australia. Qantas is disturbed by clang, disturbed by claims of gang infiltration and the Australian media has been talking about this gang infiltration on the airlines getting drugs and uh, nefarious products on there big deal little deal I, it, it seems like something that that you would think is been going on for a long time so I would say little deal but yeah. this actually seems a little bit more of a bigger deal to me because what Qantas is saying is that well, wait, wait a minute we do all these backgrounds we comply with all the security of Australia and their security their their version of homeland security etc yeah. and nobody has come back and said we're not hitting this and nobody's come back with bad uh, um, uh, background checks 
right? Yeah. Yet there's this story that's out there, and they have no idea that this is that this is happening. That I think it's motorcycle to gangs me. too. Motorcycle gangs uh, recruiting other motorcycle like the gang sons members. Of destruction are on the, uh, the sons of anarchy are on the, the, the sons of are there. Yeah, the hell's ain't. No, I don't, I'm not going to say that they're involved. They're probably not. Mm. Uh, but um, yeah, it's so. I think it becomes from a little deal that kind of like, of course, people are trying to get drugs in and out of this to a. Wait a minute, they're following all the security systems. And a reporter figured this out, and their security systems and the security of Australia didn't. Yeah. Uh, and it's another big deal because they're already in some some issues with uh, trade with with uh, China, et cetera, over COVID and some other things right now. So just from a, a business deal, it's a big deal for them. My opinion. Anyways. So let's talk about another big deal here. This is the biggest of deals, I think. Anyways, uns- an unseaworthy Noah's Ark replica detained at Ipswich Waterfront uh, Duner, it's not seaworthy, man. It's a replica of the of the Noah's Ark, and it's like I think it's like half the size of what they think it really is. But they said they won't say why, but it's not seaworthy, so they're they're keeping it there, man. Well, first of all, that's not an ark, okay? That's a barge with <laughs> with a with a wooden replica on top of it, and, yes. an ark. So it seems maybe that the sea, which is weird, because how could you have like a replica, a true replica of Noah's Ark if it's actually on a modern barge? That does not make any sense. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing when I saw that. Right, I'm glad you brought that up. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, it's it's the Noah's Ark. So the most important thing is that it floats. It does that, right? Uh, on a barge, it floats. Yeah, but if there's like a flood, right, and and all the world gets covered in water, and you have to go on that thing. If that's the last thing left, I'm probably taking my chances. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you could fit all the. How many drop boosties? Well, that's half. Velocity? That's only half the size. It's okay. So how many Velociraptors do you think you could fit in the half size one? Half of the well, 100 percent more than we're on the original one, apparently, because there's none here, right? Because <laughs> there's no Velociraptors <laughs> no, there. Now. So apparently, the first ones didn't make it. Ah, well. That's uh, the unicorns didn't make deal. it on there either. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, I guess, you know what happened, though? This is kind of funny. They came, they brought it there as a museum, right? And, yeah. and then when they try to leave, they're like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Don't Maybe think so. it's You're too popular. There. Maybe they just like it there. They're not letting them leave. They've confiscated it. Maybe took, uh, took 50 craftsmen, expert craftsmen, uh, five months to create that museum. Yeah, I, I think a big deal would be if you did find a Velociraptor on there. That would, that be, would be a, a big, deal. much bigger deal. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily. Don't we have a giant ark museum somewhere here in the U.S. too? Probably, but maybe I would imagine they're I'm probably. Sure. <laughs> never yeah. I'm going to say yes, just okay. guessing. Well, I'm just going to say that's a little deal. That's someone else's problem. Yeah, it's, it's too far not, away for me to care. It doesn't touch me enough. Okay, yeah. Logan Paul versus Floyd May- Mayweather ended in booze as each fighter makes millions of dollars. Is that a big deal or a little deal? Uh, I think it's a little deal. It just, you know, hey, it's a fight with no judges. Nobody was going to be a winner from the very yeah. beginning. If you're going to boo because nobody won, then you shouldn't have plunked down your money. It, it's kind of a duh wow. <laughs> to me. And it's pouring <laughs> so loud. Can you guys Can you guys hear that rain? Some in Chattanooga, it will just come down. Oh, Cats man. And dogs. Yeah, definitely hey, will. guess what's coming up on Wednesday? We do not have a normal show. By the way, by the way, Logan Paul during an exhibition, he only landed 13% of his punches. Right? Fifteen percent. That's, that's a very little deal. That is a very, a very little deal. <laughs> Floyd Mayweather called him a little man, a good little man. Okay, fleet, small fleet, and owner operator summits coming up this Wednesday, nine to uh, just about the end of the day. I think go to live.freightwaves.com to register. It's going to be a great time. We're going to be focusing on owners, operators, the drivers out there, the backbone of the freight community. Ah, bread and butter. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duna. That's D double O N E I. Stay dry out there. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell them how to be on this Monday. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere. We'll see you guys Wednesday.